0: Science, you can use the Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Hi, uh, welcome aboard. Special guest a bit later today, Terry Mosher, better known, of course, as Aislin, the uh, cartoonist uh, for the Gazette. And uh, we're going to chat about all kinds of things because Terry has been around Montreal as long as I have been. And uh, it's. Uh, now 40 years since i have been kind of uh, demystifying science for the public and it was 40 years ago uh, uh, this summer that basically it all started and it started in an interesting way Uh, way back then uh, many of you will remember that the city of montreal tried to keep the spirit of expo 67 going with uh, a Man in His World uh, exhibit. It was kind of a scaled-down version of, of the fair. And the Bell Telephone Pavilion, which of course was one of the most popular pavilions during Expo, because it had that 360-degree movie, it was a great movie. Uh, you felt like you were in an airplane or in a boat, uh, it, was, it was great. Anyway, the Bell Telephone Pavilion um, uh, was taken over by UNESCO uh, during this man-in-his-world era, and uh, they uh, wanted someone to do a scientific exhibit Uh, In the area uh, where people came out from the movie, during Expo 67, that had been filled by all kinds of Bell Telephone exhibits, uh, but now they needed something. And UNESCO, of course, is the scientific arm of the United Nations. So... um, They asked me and uh, my colleagues Ariel Fenster and and David Harp at McGill to see if we could kind of mount a scientific display. And we thought, great, you know, what a a wonderful chance to to do that, to familiarize the public with science. And uh, we did that. We hired a bunch of students and did the usual classic demonstrations, you know, we did color changes and puffs and bangs and had little talks on nutrition and cosmetics and, and rocketry. Uh, it, it was neat. And uh, we also did our chemistry magic show. Uh, we performed that there dozens and dozens of, of times, uh, mostly on on the weekends. And uh, over the two years that we did this, we pulled in oh, something like 250, 300,000 people who, who watched us. It was, it was neat. And uh, so that was really my, my first uh, escapade with doing things for the public on, on a large scale. Now, of course, I had been teaching already at that time for six years. And uh, in my teaching, I had always emphasized uh, sort of making connections to everyday life and uh, I kind of thought that if uh, during a lecture I couldn't make a connection to why students should be learning what I was teaching, then there was really not much reason to to teach it. So you know, I had already started down the path of uh, kind of explaining the role of science in, in, in public life, and then along came this UNESCO thing at uh, you know in, in 1980. And uh, the radio show here really was a spinoff of that as well. And it happened because Ted Blackman, who was writing a column at that time, uh, wrote a little piece about uh, us at the Man and His World uh, doing a demo about uh, urea formaldehyde, which at that time people were worried about because it was being used as an insulating material. We had just come through the energy crisis of the 1970s. People were insulating But if this was improperly applied, it would release formaldehyde vapors. And Ted mentioned this, that while people are worried about this, uh, there are these chemistry profs at the UNESCO Pavilion who are talking about this and saying what a wonderful product it is. Uh, Of course, we were not talking about urea formaldehyde. We were demonstrating polyurethane which is a very interesting demo. You pour two solutions together and you get a uh, this kind of a blob. And I explained that this was used to make pillows and Miss Piggy was actually made of this and, and uh, the backing to AstroTurf, we talked about this uh so ted didn't understand that two substances can look the same but have very different chemical properties and i wrote him a letter uh, along with a polyurethane egg that i formulated with a string on it that he was to hang around his neck for penance for having laid the scientific egg for not having known the difference between urea formaldehyde and polyurethane and i gave him an example i said look you can have two glasses of clear liquid and um, you don't know what they are until you taste it i said one could be water what could be vodka and you wouldn't know and uh, ted could relate to that and uh, uh, he then wrote a retraction saying that uh, you know uh, he really didn't understand this difference and then i had a long conversation on the telephone with ted uh, where he told me that the real problem was that he had skipped too many chemistry classes in high school. That's why he didn't uh, uh, understand this difference. Anyway, the next day I got a call from Helen Goujon, who at that time was doing the morning show uh, in here on CJD. She wanted me to comment on this controversy, which of course was a non-controversy, and I did. And I guess they liked the way I did that, and pretty soon they asked me to come on the air and be a regular, and that uh, has been going on ever since. So we've been at this uh, uh, a long time, uh, answering questions. I don't know how many thousands of questions I've answered uh, over the years. And of course, they have ranged in all kinds from all kinds of subjects. You know, how do you clean a bathtub? That used to be a common question in the old days. And then the unusual ones on how do you open a sealed uh, cremation urn? Uh, someone had a relative cremated, and they wanted to scatter the <laughs> the ashes, but uh, somehow the urn had become uh, sealed. They couldn't open it. So we have questions about that. I had a question about how do you autopsy a goldfish uh, that may have been poisoned <laughs> so the, over the years there have been you know numerous questions and and uh, of course i also worked with many many people on the station here in the early years before i started doing it all by myself uh, melanie king of course joe cannon uh, uh, cindy sherwin i i have a list actually i think there were over 30 people that i've worked with uh, over the years so it's it, it's been you know, a very long and uh, interesting uh, uh, adventure. And uh, one thing that it really does allow me to do is have my fingers on kind of the pulse of the public uh, so that I'm familiar with what people are interested in uh, because of the questions that I've gotten. And, of course, I... I, uh, develop those ideas often into the columns in the Gazette, which, of course, was also a spinoff from uh, from radio, because after I had been doing the radio for a while, I, I got a call from the Gazette asking if I would uh, like to talk about, uh, you know, science kind of stuff in the Gazette. And I thought that that was an interesting uh, opportunity as well, and uh, I started that. And then that eventually led to writing of books. It led to a lot of public lectures and appearances uh, all over the place. So I've I've been kind of lucky with the opportunities that have been uh, presented. And, uh, of course, I still do enjoy uh, what I'm doing. And uh, it is a little bit different these days. Of course, we're dealing with COVID. So the, the public lectures, of course, have to be done over Zoom. Uh, there's much less of meeting people and uh, no more pressing of the flesh. But uh, nevertheless, uh, of course, there are all kinds of fascinating scientific uh, stories out there, uh, obviously many dealing with uh, COVID, but many others as, as well. And I can tell you that I look forward to coming in uh, every Sunday and sitting here and chatting with you and trying to unravel some of the mysteries of, uh, of everyday life. And it's fun to do and I still enjoy my teaching. Uh, this coming uh, semester uh, we'll have uh, over 700 people in the class. Uh, It's a course on drugs, and uh, again, we are going to do it online. And the same thing the second semester, when we probably will have about 1,700 students in a course on food. So anyway, we're going to take a little break here, uh, check the traffic, and after that, we'll be back with uh, Aislinn, Terry Mosher, and uh, reminisce a little bit about uh, what has happened in Montreal over the last uh, few decades. Stay with us. (laughs) Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, as I mentioned, uh, it is my pleasure to welcome Montreal's, one of Montreal's most famous celebrities, Terry Mosher, who, of course, we know better as Aislinn. Hi, Terry.
1: So I'm finally on the world's largest chemistry radio show. You
0: are. You have it, achieved the ultimate four fame. Decades
1: so to give me a call.
0: <laughs> you've you've achieved the ultimate <laughs> fame, as have I, uh, with getting an Aisland cartoon. <laughs> yes, so. you
1: did. And we should tell them a little bit of history of this. I mean you and I have done I don't countless numbers of of, of uh, presentations together at Books and Breakfast. Uh, you know, that is sponsored by the wonderful people at Paragraph Books. Unfortunately,
0: uh, we, no more. It's yeah, Well,
1: yeah. I guess it, it may revive. Who knows? We don't yeah. know anything at this point. Well, you do. You know a lot, Joe. But <laughs> the rest of us don't know a lot about what's going to be coming up in the future or how long it will take. Nevertheless, I do remember that that it, it seemed that whenever I had a book out, you had a book out, and we would mutually appear at. Uh, but one of the one of the the appearances, I said to you after something about. I really should put you in a cartoon sometimes, which I do occasionally. I'll pe- stick people in the corner or something. Anyway, I don't know how many years ago that was. But anyway, you I reminded me you, you came
0: through, and it's uh, it was a great job.
1: Well, thanks, for It much. really I'm glad is. It's,
0: it. Uh, it's great. It's. Uh, uh, I mean, I've gotten so many positive comments on it. And and then, of course, to, to cap it off, the Habs won last night, <laughs>
1: so they win last it, was, night yeah. it was very well, opportunistic I must tell you, my favorite, I put all of these things up on Facebook, uh, and a lot of people comment on them. And I, my favorite comment, because I should, people who haven't seen the cartoon, I have you uh, s- saying that, yes, uh, I am indeed a man of science, a magician, and a Habs fan, but even I can't produce a Stanley Cup for you. And uh, one woman uh, commented, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Terry, I tell you what. If if they do win the Stanley Cup this year, I want another cartoon.
1: <laughs> All right, <Okay>. sure. <laughs> we'll we, we follow up. By the way, the Gazette, did a terrific job. They they used half a page for that cartoon. They must be fond of you, Joe.
0: Yes, they did. They did. I I must say, and and uh, you know, I have had a happy collaboration with the Gazettas. Have you? Uh, they're uh, nice people to uh, to work with, and it's fine. So anyway, uh, Terry, I, I thought that because we we have both been on the Montreal scene for more than a few years, yeah, it would be interesting to to reminisce a little bit about the things that we've seen in 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 Montreal. Now, how how when did you actually first start publishing uh, cartoons?
1: Okay, uh, my first cartoon appeared in a Saturday Night Magazine in 1966. It was a caricature of Charles de Gaulle, I remember. And it kind of an awkward drawing when I look at it now, but I learned pretty quickly. So 1966 would have been the first one, and in Montreal uh 1967 i actually had drawings published first in uh in toronto and then in new york city uh before coming to to montreal from quebec city in the fall of 1967 uh, and started working for anybody and everybody at that point
0: how did how did the cartooning start in the first place what what background did you have for drawing
1: well, I was studying at uh, – I had studied at uh, at a, a number of schools, Central Tech in Toronto, which is a terrific, uh, terrific art school, uh, and then Ontario College very briefly. But really, I finished off studying at L'Ecole des Beaux-Arts in Quebec City, uh, and in the summers there, I was drawing portraits and caricatures of tourists on Rue de Trazor. I'm quite sure you're familiar with it on the street. Yeah. I started that street with two other guys, two other sort of uh, artists trying to make a buck. And um, so it, it became quite popular, these American tourists sitting down and me drawing fast caricatures of them. And I thought I was going to be a painter maybe or something. But anyway, it, uh, it just evolved. that uh, uh, A guy walked down the street, I remember, from Boston. And he said, would you do a drawing of LBJ for me, Lyndon Johnson, uh, in his underpants or something? And I run, I run a coffee house in Boston, and I'll give you $50 for it. Well, I was getting two bucks a caricature <laughs> in his street, and his check didn't bounce. And I just really thought to myself, I wonder if I could actually make a go doing this sort of thing. So that's why in New York, I hitchhiked to New York and picked up a big job there. Uh, and it just sort of began to remember back in that in that time, you know, there were so many magazines and newspapers, and and, and uh, that it was a a wonderful wonderful market at that time. Uh, and um, indeed, for within uh, two years of that, I was doing covers for Time magazine. So it happened very very rapidly.
0: So, but you actually had formal training in art, right? When you oh yes, saying, I, yeah, did.
1: Yeah. I did. I uh, did. It was. Um, uh, I you know I studied life drawing, but also this was very helpful. I studied commercial art uh, at Central Tech in Toronto and learned all sort of techniques and styles and this, that, and the other.
0: Do you still do I, any kind of uh, a painting other than uh, the cartoons?
1: No, I don't. I leave that to my wife pretty much. She's very, very good, and she appears uh, on the like I said editorial page. With Montreal scenes once a month or so. She uses the pen name Gigo. But no, I've always just, I've always enjoyed uh, the cartooning uh, and um, other things too, of course. But in terms of actual art, it's, it's very satisfying. And remember too that there's a hell of an audience out there. You know, if you draw a cartoon, particularly in the heyday of newspapers, uh and it appeared i think Gazette, that, but then it's picked up on syndication then maybe picked up uh, around the world from time to time suddenly you've got millions of people seeing your work so it, it that that and it's maybe too because i had uh, newspaper journalism in my in my blood my dad was uh, for a period of time a journalist and we always had we always had uh, journalist friends around uh June Caldwell, you'll remember she babysat me when I was mm. four years old, and other people like that.
0: And you have a new book out now.
1: I do, as you probably do too, right?
0: It's coming. It's coming. My my most recent one came out uh, last year, which was a grain of salt, and I'm just uh, I'm just compiling stuff for for the next one.
1: Hold off a bit. I'll tell you why. It's uh, I'm doing the best I can. But uh, it was expected that this book would be launched—a uh, huge launch—at the that I did. I should explain: it's a biography of Canada's greatest ever political cartoonist, Duncan Macpherson, um, and he was a mentor of mine. But we'll get that to that later. But he um, uh, anyway, the book was to be launched at the National Archives, who would have a huge collection of his drawings and then at the Toronto Public Library in Toronto, and then at the McCord Museum here. But, of course, all of that yeah. uh, got uh, postponed or perhaps cancelled uh, because of uh, the virus. So even after doing so many books, it's a brand-new ball game in terms of how to promote your book.
0: But is the, is the book out?
1: Oh, yeah, the book is no. out, uh, and it's doing quite well, and it's getting terrific reviews. The Gazette did a great job on it, the Toronto Star did, and a bunch of other people. So the book is out, but it seems that more people are buying books online now than in the actual bookstores. It's so awkward sometimes to get to a bookstore these days uh, that I've noticed that the sales of the book are, uh, like local bookstores here have it, and I've even signed books for the, the different uh, different stores, uh, but a lot of the sales seem to be online.
0: Well, one, uh, one uh, method that uh, is now working well for me or the talking books, people like that, you know, when the, when they can listen to the book. But I guess yeah. that, that that doesn't work for you.
1: No, that wouldn't work. because, <laughs> like, you know, what, what do you say? Here's another funny cartoon and then describe it? No, that, that wouldn't work. Uh, but I'm not too worried in the long run about this, Joe, because it's uh, writing a biography of, of an important person and a, a Canadian, it has a long shelf life. And also, I'm almost as interested in, in, in my old age, I've uh, learned a few things. I'm almost as interested in having this book in libraries and archives uh, as much as people actually buying the book.
0: Okay, Terry, we've got to take a break here because, as you know, this commercial radio and bills have to be paid. Of course. Uh, okay, so just uh, stay on the line and we'll be back after the news and chat some more about and reminisce more about Montreal. I've got uh, Terry Mosher, Aislinn, as my guest here today, but uh, we're going to check the news and be right back.
1: Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800.
0: Today we're chatting with Aislinn, Terry Mosher, Canada's favorite cartoonist. Terry, where does the uh, name Aislinn come from?
1: Well, actually, Aislinn is my elder daughter's name. Um, she spells it a little differently with two n's. It my uh, my first wife, Carol, you will remember her. She uh, she was Irish, and uh, and uh, so we we went looking for an Irish name, and, uh, and there you go. So the daughter came before the actual signature on the cartoons.
0: So wh- why was it necessary though to to have a different like a pseudonym on a cartoon?
1: It, it starts, in my case, it started out as a joke. I was drawing caricatures on the street in Quebec City, and my daughter was born, and to separate these little funny little caricatures I was doing of people, uh, I just began using her name on them to keep it separate from, I guess, my what I considered my serious art. And, and what do you know, the cartooning became my serious art and my living, so it was... Uh, it was just one of those uh, circumstantial things that happened.
0: So tell me how long does it take to do one of these these cartoons now?
1: Joe, when do you need it? Hm? <laughs> <laughs> you understand as much as anybody the business of a deadline. Uh and you get very used to it. And if you can't meet a deadline in this business, you may well just it would just just well, get out of the get out of the game. But it depends. I mean, uh, the other day, for example, uh uh this uh this cartoon I did of you, it was decided uh, to switch it around originally. It was going to be the editorial page and so on. but So it had to be a very different slant for your column. Uh, and uh, so it, I drew your cartoon quite rapidly in three hours.
0: Mm. And now you're doing them uh, in color. Yeah. Which uh, uh, you didn't do at the beginning, right? It, no, no. It just
1: do uh, one day in... Uh, well, I did occasionally when I would do covers for McLean's or different people. Uh yeah, I did color and I was but it was sort of back then it was a process of using a watercolor or colored inks or whatever. And what is it uh, now? Oh, it's uh, definitely computer. It's just uh, so much uh, Oh, you mean easier. all the
0: really all the coloring is done on computer?
1: It is. Uh, what the black and white is still done on a, on a piece of paper. Uh, but not only that. In the computer, once you scan the black and white drawing into the computer, and you start to colorize it, uh, you can also continue to adjust the black and white drawing if we, if one cheek doesn't quite work, or you want to add a highlight to a um, uh, you know an eyeball or whatever it happens to be. So yes, all of that happens in the computer. So there's still a black and white original. But in some cases, uh, the final product is quite a bit different from what you drew originally. It's really quite magic what you can do with a computer.
0: Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. you know, this is uh, one of the you know interesting features of b- having been in this business for so long is the changes that we have seen, you know, uh, like, uh, it affects I,
1: I, everyone. Oh
0: yeah, I mean, I I uh, typed my PhD thesis you know, on a typewriter, and if you made a mistake on the page, you had yes. to retype the page. There was course, you know, there was no course, other, yeah. no other way. And it's,
1: uh, it, well, it's made things far more expedient and far easier, but you still, I think, have to have the raw talent to be able to. Uh, I do remember when computers first came along, a fellow was really excited at this was at the the Miami Herald. I was down there, and he was really excited about what he could do with computers. And uh, he said, "Come and I'll show you." And he had done a, a fish and chip sign or something. Hmm. And I, you know, I said, "Well, okay." So you just did some color overlays and so on. It took a few years to realize uh, the possibilities. Uh, I remember when it first came out in 1984, uh, Apple gave me one of these little computers. I wish I still had it. It's quite a collector's item. Uh, and just said, play with it. We, you know, we don't want anything. Just play with it. And I did for a couple of weeks and then didn't like it. But then I discovered what they were doing in terms of programs and so on. And I really jumped into it in the late 80s and early 90s.
0: Now, of course, one thing that you can do with computers, change the size of everything. So, oh, yeah. So when you draw the original cartoon how how big is it
1: well in this particular case they used it uh, large enough that that's very close to the uh, to the original size but usually it's about a time and a half up. in other words uh, what you see is about what 66% of the size of the actual original drawing but it can change because sometimes again with a computer you can take just a small little thumbnail and blow it way up and add a little color, and it's really quite dramatic.
0: Yeah. Now, you've always done, like, single cartoons, not not strips, right?
1: Yeah, I tried a strip, uh, but that's uh, quite a few years ago. But quite frankly, this was for an outfit in New York, uh, and they had me doing test tests. Step- and I just, one day, I said, I don't like this. I had go- gotten used to, to the immediacy of... You do a drawing and it appears the next day, yeah. you know, or sometimes sooner. And I really like that. And I still like that. Uh, But if you drew a comic strip uh, back then, I don't know if it's improved in terms of of, uh, speed. uh, You know, it could be a month or two months before it actually appeared in the newspaper. Subsequently, the subject had to be very, I won't say bland, but it had to be acceptable in terms of, uh, uh, you know, would it hold up for that period of time? But it added a whole other element that I didn't like particularly because I like the immediacy of things. Mm-hmm. Even in your cartoon, it got tied to hockey, and if yeah, I knew it was yeah. going to appear yeah. uh, the day uh, that the first game was played, there'd be high interest in that. So I've kind of become used to the business of, of if there's something out there, if it happens to be the scandal on this, that, or the other, you get that in, and I like that a lot.
0: You know, talking about comic strips, I mean, I tell you one thing that just amazes me is how bad many of them are. You know, I I, I, I look at the the cartoons, let's say in the Gazette, in the Saturday, the the colored cartoons there. I mean, some of them are are, are so awful. I, I wonder how does anyone think that this is funny. You ever do you ever think like that?
1: <laughs> uh, I guess I have to be a little diplomatic. <laughs> you know, anybody who can make a living uh, doing a drawing gets my vote. Uh, and I guess there must be. I mean, they must uh, a lot of this happens in a place in Kansas City where where decisions are made about what what cartoons to use and, yeah. that and the other, uh, because one of the largest syndicates are there. And I think they test things and uh, this, that, and the other. Uh, Lynn Johnson, who does For Better or For Worse, yeah. told me all about this.
0: Yeah, well, she's one of the good ones. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's she one of the good she's ones. She's tired
1: now, and they, but they yeah. just rerun. Or,
0: yeah, I, uh, my, my all-time favorite, I guess, are Peanuts and, and Andy Kapp.
1: I Yeah, nice. My My favorite originally was Pogo when I was a youngster. Yeah. I think probably because it was so beautifully drawn and very clever. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, Walt Kelly, who drew Pogo, was originally a political cartoonist, and he went into uh, he went into comic strips in the uh, the early 50s. So I have my favorites too, but usually, uh, usually Calvin and Hobbes, for example, usually it's a strip that is very very well drawn. I have a Great respect for people who draw well. And that's why I did the book on Duncan McPherson, uh, because he drew so beautifully. Just, I'm, I'm moved by that, you know?
0: Okay, Terry, we've got to take another break here. Okay. And then we'll chat uh, some more about good old days. Sure. All right. Uh, my guest is Aislin, Terry Mosher. We're going to check traffic and be right back. Science you can use The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Welcome back. We're schmoozing with Terry Mosher, Aislin, about the old days. Terry, one...
1: Let me ask you a question, Joe. Are you doing the show from home, or are you doing it in the studio? No, I'm
0: in the studio. I'm in the studio, and I'm allowed to come in, uh, as long as I don't bring anyone with me. Okay. And uh, here alone, and uh, we have uh, Dave, the operator, who's uh, in his little booth there. Well, they're
1: always uh, separated separated by glass. Separated
0: by glass, so... so I, I come in here, I park in the garage, I don't see anybody, I don't talk to anybody, and... So I feel safe. Good. And of course they have all kinds of cleansing stuff here. <laughs> sure. Buck- buckets of it. So sure.
1: uh, Well, you're 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 guaranteed to be busy for the next couple of years, Joe, because we don't really know what's going unfortunately. on. Unfortunately, you're looking for to you. you're the most trusted guy yeah. in Montreal. So,
0: it, well thank you. <laughs> but Terry, let me ask you this, you know, a question that I get asked often is the whether or not it's a big problem to think of a topic to write about in for Saturday's Gazette. And to me, this is the the least of the problems. I thinking I of a topic. I mean, it's, it's you know that it's nothing. I can think of a dozen every week. So, what about you? I mean, you. It's you know, even easier. It's even yeah. easier. Huh? Yeah.
1: To give you an example, while we were off air during the ads, I just went streaming through different news services, and looking for possibilities. And here's one right right off the top. Uh, they only sang the national anthem in the hockey game and. Uh, in, um, in English, and I'm quite sure Le Journal de Montréal will be jumping all over that and so on. So th- there's, uh, my problem is, because remember, I'm kind of semi-retired now. I only draw two a week for the Gazette, and, and then I do other things. So I'm looking for two or three good cartoon ideas, and there's so much going on. My problem is that I might have a good idea, but it won't last for a couple of days Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because, as I mentioned earlier, I like to I like to be very timely. Uh, But what with what's happening with uh, with the pandemic, uh, the United States, uh, certainly here in Canada, various sort of uh, various uh, things in Quebec, in Montreal, it's not a problem. The no. subject matter is always yeah. there.
0: I mean, sometimes. there's so much, and Trump, of course, is such great fodder. Uh, it's almost like you know, too easy
1: picking, right? Exactly, he's too easy to draw. Almost, I mean, and, and there, I guess he's been he's been caricatured more than any other American president, even though he hasn't served a full term yet. Uh, it's just a feeding frenzy on Trump.
0: Tell me, does it ever happen that you finish a cartoon and you look at it and you say, Nah, nah, nah this is not what I want?
1: Yeah, it has a couple of times, um, uh, not not very often, but sometimes you just say no, it's not right, or it just doesn't feel right, uh, and I will. But I'll file it away. Maybe I can adjust it or this, that, or the other. But I must admit, generally, Joe, it's it's a question of just doing the thing uh, feels good. Show it to my wife. If she cringes, I know I must have a good cartoon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think you've, you've had innumerable good ones in, in the past, and I, I don't know if you have a favorite one. I mean, I think probably the most popular one was uh, Take a Valium.
1: Yeah, uh, that was 1976. I drew that, and it appeared in the Gazette the day after the Potsky-Quebec Yeah, world yeah. Elected. You know, a political cartoon, it, its popularity uh, is remembered, its history, if— if in fact it's tied uh, to a particular event uh, or a historic event because quite honestly Joe almost all the cartoons i draw and other other political cartoons I draw are usually hopefully they they, they provide a momentary laugh or a reflection and then people move on and it's long forgotten after a short period of time because it might be some minor cabinet minister or so on but then occasionally you do one that you think it might have a history in other words it it could be remembered and you know if you draw quite quite honestly if you know in your career you draw 25 or 30 cartoons like that then you've had a wildly successful yeah. career. Because if the goal here is to have your work remembered, and the older I get, the more I realize that's what you're looking at, um, and then uh, then you're hoping that that will happen. And it, there's a wealth of events that have taken place here in Montreal and Quebec that are easily remembered referendums and, and so on.
0: Do you have a uh, favorite?
1: A favorite? Well, you know, I would have to say... Uh, my standard pat uh answer when when i'm asked that is yeah it'll be tomorrow's in other words you're always looking mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to get you know something even better uh even after having drawn something like 13 or 14,000 cartoons, you're still looking for that uh but a favorite uh there one 19, you like to sort of present a different point of view there's one that i'm very very uh, that i go back to uh, you know, the the around the time of the first referendum, uh, businesses were leaving Montreal. They were scared, and they were going to Toronto, and all kinds of businesses left. And uh, but then, so there was this portrayal or idea of the English being all rich people on top of the hill and so on, in Westmount. But I knew a lot of people at the time who were out of work. And looking around, just like everybody else. In other words, there were were real problems. So I did a drawing of two guys holding a table, walking out of a tavern. And the table is covered with beer. But these are two working-class-looking guys. One guy is looking really angry, and the other guy is asking him. He's saying something like, Look, Al, I'm mad at Quebec, too, but moving our head office and it just seemed to strike a chord that particular cartoon about mm-hmm. people who were mm-hmm. you know who and you try to do that you try to sort of be sympathetic you don't draw cartoons to please politicians that the last the last thing you do well, what do you like to do is perhaps create a conversation I won't say ordinary people, but all kinds of other people out there, people who read your cartoons. That has to be the goal, and I've explained that. like, You don't care what a politician, you know, if they, if they like the drawing and they want a copy, that's okay. Uh, or if they don't like it, well, too bad.
0: Have you ever had uh, a cartoon about a politician, in fact, about anyone else, where the subject kind of violently objected to, the, to
1: it? Oh yeah, I've been sued. Uh, most of us have. Most of us who've earned our spurs in the business have had that kind of reaction. And I think it's probably proof that if that happens from time to time, you're pretty good at your job. Because the idea is to be a little controversial. Remember, it's only a drawing on a piece of paper. So what the, vis- the, the, the reaction is visceral. It's not like a physical attack. It's the suggestions you make in a drawing that, that people might be very upset about. Uh, but let me tell you that if, if the, it could last the reaction, in other words, but in different ways. Robert Stanfield, you remember? I've interviewed Stanfield years ago about cartooning, and he was talking about Duncan McPherson, the subject of my book. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, I would look at Duncan's cartoons and I would think, "Well, that's very cruel." But then, when I would go back to it a couple of months later, I'll say, "Wait a minute, that's that's quite clever." And he would see it from a different angle. So, uh, uh, but when you're the subject of a cartoon, uh, you know, feathers can uh, feathers can uh, spread.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. But in terms of lawsuit, like, what, how how could that merit a lawsuit? What, uh, because in in a lawsuit, you basically in Canada, you have to to. Show defamation, right?
1: Yeah, the, uh, well, they were, Claude Wagner, the old politician, was, was suing me for libel, uh, and then he died, and I have a wonderful thing, Joe, you would like this, on my studio wall. I got a letter from his lawyers saying, under the circumstances with the passing of... We're dropping the lawsuit.
0: <laughs> so Terry, unfortunately, the hour has flown by. I know it. It, it has seems, flown. It hasn't?
1: has. It seems like it says just a few minutes, but this is. Uh, I had all kinds of questions. I was going to ask you a couple, even from my wife.
0: So, oh uh, well, uh, the, so we'll have to do this again. We'll do uh, it again. But you know, this is the curse of radio. Is is that the time
1: just just flies? It, uh, well, it, if if the conversation is interesting, it flies, Joe.
0: Well, you know what? We'll do this again, and it won't be another forty years. All right, <laughs> I think we'll uh, we'll uh, speed it up a little bit, uh, given that uh, neither of us has forty years left.
1: Sure, I'd love to do that, Joe. So, actually, if if something comes along that is related, just just let me know. And also, maybe from time to time, if you ever really interesting column let me know and maybe we'll do another drawing for you
0: oh well that's that's a challenge there that i'm happy with well thank and thanks for doing that one i I really listen i I just
1: get a copy over send me an email and i'll get a signed copy over to you
0: thanks a lot so that was terry mosher aislan always fun to chat with him and unfortunately we are out of time but we'll be back same time same station next week uh until then i'm joe schwartz hoping that all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.